Hey everybody, welcome to Issues of Life, the podcast. It's your girl Shelly's View in the house. And I'm also a blogger who loves Detroit. You can check out the blog, www.aheartfulofconversations.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. I also have my girl, sister friend, Lady Time. I missed you. Oh, Shelly View. I missed you too. You know, I had some issues in my life and I hadn't couldn't be here that episode, but I'm back. I'm back by popular demand. All right now. And I would like to welcome my my big brother, Butch Ford. What's up? What's going on, y'all? It's the big homie, Butch Ford. Here for another one. Let's do it. And we are blessed today to have Miss Keisha Jackson. She is the founder and executive director of Caleb's Kids, a nonprofit organization that provides outreach to youth grades 6 through 12 around mental health awareness, suicide prevention, resiliency, coping skills, and self-esteem. Under her leadership, Caleb's Kids has provided scholarships to high school seniors, sponsored holiday care and wellness benefits for surviving families of suicide loss, and has provided life-changing outreach materials and workshops to thousands of Detroit area youth and parents. She is passionate about mental health education. She's an advocate for mental health education, and she's also a student she is currently pursuing a Master of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling from Bellevue University and is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ann Arbor, where she earned a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology and Central Michigan University, where she earned a Master of Science in Health Services Administration. Let's give Come it up. On, master. Yeah, for this smarty pants Come over on, here, master. Keisha Jackson. All right, all right, all right. Hey everyone, so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> okay, and we also would like to give a shout out to the best engineer oh. producers. It's a husband and wife team. Yeah. That's Fred and Janae Evans. Yeah. And they are founders of About Right Media Productions. Let's give it up for them. All right, all right. Oh, and yeah. can you believe this? Can y'all believe this? Guess what? 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 We got a sponsor today. What okay. you say? Yes. And it is Mr. Eric Colts, who is the owner of Photographer, I-E-Y-E, Capture U2. That's the letter U, the number two, Photography, LLC. Follow him on Facebook. That's I Capture U2 Photography LLC. And he is also on Instagram at I Capture U287. Y'all better woo, woo, woo. support yeah, yeah, yeah. my brother. That's All right. right. That's right. That's okay. right. So we're going to start something new this episode. And I'm going to have Mr. Butch Ford to uh, roll it on out for us. All right. This is what we're going to do, y'all. We're going to do a, a musical quote. Every episode, oh. and we're going to call the segment, What They Talking About. Oh. Okay? Okay. All right, today's, since we're going to be talking about some mental health issues and things of that nature, mm-hmm. today's quote is from none other than George Clinton, leader of Parliament Funkadelic. Mm. Okay. Uh, this was our jam back in 1978. Y'all remember One Nation Under a Group? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. All right, here's the quote. Mm. Okay. And y'all got to tell me, what they talking about? Oh, all right, what they talking about? <laughs> all right. Wanna be freaking up and down, hang up alleyway. With the groove as our only guide, we shall all be moved. Okay, my ears are a little bit too young for all that. What was they talking about? (laughs) I don't know. 
don't know. Ooh. I'm a little bit kind of young, but it sounds kind of freaky and nasty. You remember that one time? Yeah, I remember it. I just remember dancing to it. I don't know if I was really freaking to it back then. <laughs> right, right. <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I was just curious. <laughs> what about you, Keisha? Do you have um, some insight on what that quote might mean? No, I don't have no insight on that quote. I, I, I like the song, though. One day. Yeah. I like that song. <laughs> But I don't remember that quote when I be listening to it and dancing. I don't know. Must, must be in them other lyrics. Yeah, I don't know. And that was before they opened all them dispensaries back in the 70s, too. All right. All right. Them brothers was tweaking. Yes, yes. It was I on another my level. Mama, though. My mama, she probably know what it meant. Mm-hmm. That's probably how I got here. Mm-hmm. Well, not off that one. One of them. Not off that one. <laughs> what are your thoughts? What you think about it? I have no idea. You know, because you wouldn't have asked us I just, what's going I, on well, in that brain I, of yours. I, I just remember back in 1978, I caught the end of the, the house parties, the basement parties with the red light. Yes, they charge you a yes, quarter. Yes, yes. Uh, I just remember the dance, the freak. Mm, got a whole yes. lot of people in trouble. Mm. And you were one of them, I'm sure. <laughs> right. I, I, I was like 10, so okay, I, I was still a novice in the mm. game back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so now we are going to have our not-so-current events. Event. And yes. the first one is from, uh, it's by Ben Kesslin, and it is about a Florida woman. I'm going to quote, a Florida woman who, wa- who allegedly zipped her boyfriend in a suitcase and left him there to die was arrested Tuesday in his killing. Sarah Boone, 42, of Winter Park, faces a charge of second-degree murder and the death Monday of George Tor- Torres Jr. Boone says she was playing a game of hide-and-seek with Torres when she zipped him in a suitcase, thinking it would be funny, according to a report by the Orange County Sheriff's Office. Boone and Torres allegedly been drinking alcohol, and she says she went upstairs and passed out while Torres was still in the suitcase. Waking up to her cell phone ringing multiple times, Boone says she realized Torres was still in the suitcase where she found him unresponsive, according to the report. She called 911 and emergency responders who came to the home confirmed Torres had died. The sheriff's office said Boone's statements have been inconsistent and that on the cell phone footage, Torres can be heard screaming for help in the suitcase while Boone chimes in. Oh my God. Torres yells out Boone's name, asking for help, to which she replies, For everything you've done to me, F you, apparently laughing, the police report said. And then the unquote, and then the article goes on to say, You can hear the boyfriend begging for help, stating he couldn't breathe, and she basically ignores him. And there is footage of movement of the suitcase of Torres struggling, trying to get out of the zipped luggage. Now, Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts? That must have been some expensive luggage for him to get in it and, to, and then to be suffocated in it. Wow. Mm. And some big luggage. I'm only 5'4 and a half, and I can't fit in no regular luggage Exactly. Now. Right, right. He was a little dude, obviously. Um, and if he was that small enough to fit in a suitcase, uh, that was an abusive guy? Mm, I don't, I, I, I don't I'm know. really sad. I don't know. Because I, I, she said she was playing hide and seek. You don't. Place the person that's hiding from you. You know where they are. Because you know <laughs> where they are. Like, what, do you, what do you do? Yeah, she was, was playing, you know, kill and hide, uh-huh. not hide yeah. and seek. Right. So it sounds intentional to oh, me. Most oh, definitely. Yeah. Most oh, yeah. definitely intentional. Wouldn't you agree for it? Why are you quiet? Because so. you a man? I, mean, I need to hear your voice. What's no, no, going? no. I, I, I'm still trying to process it. Um, 
hide and seek, <laughs> zip you up in a suitcase, wake up the next morning and you still there. Right. And they was drinking that alcohol. That didn't help either. Can't blame it on that, can you? I-A. No, it sounded premeditated. But Most then, definitely. let me tell you about another story, uh, which was found in the Spokesman Review. And this article was updated on February 16, 2019, and it was titled, Man Shoots and Kills Five Coworkers in Suburban Chicago Warehouse After Being Fired from His Job. And I quote, it's in Aurora, Illinois, the man who killed five co-workers and wounded another and five police officers at a suburban Chicago manufacturing warehouse brought his gun to a meeting in which he was going to be fired. Authorities said Saturday because Gary Martin brought his gun to Friday's meeting at the sprawling Henry Pratt Company warehouse in Aurora, he likely knew it was possible he was about to lose the job he held for 15 years. The police chief, Kirsten Zerman, said at a news conference. Zyman said she didn't know what had been conveyed to Martin, why he has been being fired, or whether he had shown up for his regular shift or was there just for the meeting. But she said as soon as he was fired, he pulled his handgun and began shooting. Three Mm -hmm. of the five co-workers who he killed were in the room with him, and the other two were just outside, she said. A sixth employee and five police officers were shot but survived. Mm-hmm. Martin had been arrested, it goes on to say, Martin had been arrested six times in Aurora over the years, including for domestic battery, Zyman said. He was able to buy the Smith & Wesson 40 caliber handgun he used in the attack because an initial background check didn't match that he had a prior felony conviction in Mississippi, the chief said. Martin was issued a firearm owner's identification card in January of 2014 after he passed the initial background check and he bought the gun that March 11th. It wasn't until he applied for a concealed carry permit five days later and went through a more rigorous background check that uses digital fingerprinting that his 1995 felony conviction in Mississippi for aggravated battery was flagged and his firearm owner's ID card was revoked, she said. Now, what are your thoughts about that? Mm -mm -mm. Co-workers, you all need to stop talking about other people's business. Just be quiet. I, I saw a meme the other day, and it says something to the effect: um, people, people don't quit jobs. You leave jobs because of management or some, something to that effect. Um, I don't know what was going on. It was something disturbing him. Mm-hmm. It was something that caused him to go over the edge, uh, but. Listening to his background, he had some history of uh, not so upstanding behavior anyway. So could have been some mental health issues. Almost mm-hmm. um, Could have been some anger issues. Could have been some bipolar uh, uh, issues. Um, I don't know. That's so why we had an expert here today to uh, help us sort some things out. Yeah, it's interesting because when I hear that story, I have a few questions. So one, why was the process different for him to get the gun versus get the concealed carry permit. Like it seemed like the background check should have been the same for both of those processes, but having a background in the human resource on the human resource side and thinking of when I used to be in those separation meetings, 
One, when you're getting separated, it should not be a surprise to anyone. And it seems like he might have had like an inkling that something was going on, but it shouldn't be a surprise that you find out the week of that, oh, I'm getting terminated for some behavior or something that I didn't do. Like there should be progressive discipline that happens along the way. But if your issue that you're getting separated about is so severe, you shouldn't be allowed inside the office. You should be suspended. And then that separation can happen over the phone. I'm like a huge advocate for safety and and you have to be safe, especially in separation meetings. And it seems like they try to have some type of system in place where they have multiple people inside of the room. They actually had extra people outside of the room. So it seems like they had an inkling that this may be an escalated situation. So they probably should have took the extra step of keeping him at home and then having that extra vigilance like outside of the building with extra security or extra police and having them just on alert for the next few weeks versus bringing him into the office and now creating an unsafe environment for everybody at risk, him right? and everyone else. Right. So when you hear stories such as this, the suitcase story and the man who killed his co-workers, do you think we're at a point where society, as a society, we are literally losing our minds? We are definitely losing our minds. And it's so interesting because when I talk to people in the community, you know, I always try to help them, you know, build up their coping skills or build up their response skills when they're dealing with a crisis. And the best way to do that is when you're not dealing with a crisis so that when you get to that standpoint where something is going to impact you, you at least have some type of skill to try to think rationally through that situation. And so quite often I talk to people about suicide or about self-harm behaviors and, you know, they immediately say, well, I'm not suicidal. I'm not going to harm myself. But you don't know what will put you in that situation that's so traumatic or so impactful that you'll instantly want to harm yourself or harm someone else. So when I think about like today's society and and all of the triggers that we have, I mean, we have triggers every day. You have triggers in commercials, triggers on the news, triggers in your everyday life, like triggers in social media, triggers on the internet. Like there's so many triggers out here of negativity and you may get like those subtle things that you see and you may not even see that you are being almost desensitized to to terror and to to horrific events to where you see that stuff over and over and over again and to the point you may not even know you're at your breaking point because now all of this turmoil and trauma just becomes the norm so when something happens that pushes you over the edge you really don't know how to act because now it's just this enraged position that you're in so what signs should you look for when someone or you believe someone is on the verge of a mental breakdown? Yeah, there's definitely some signs. So you may have someone who has some increasingly erratic behavior. So whether it's increasing behavior of, of practicing unsafe things, so really not caring about life. So one example that I always give is, is kind of like a, a trivial example, but normally you may ride your bike up and down the street. But today you want to see if you and your bike can fly. So you take your bike on the roof and you fly off the roof. So mm. it's that type of behavior where it's dangerous. Um, it may not be as dangerous, but it can be an outcome that can be a good or bad outcome. And you just don't care how that outcome would be. Um, having more erratic behavior, maybe um, repeating yourself over and over again, or having behavior where you may come into a room and you're just erratic in that room and you may leave back out or changes in your mood where you're literally happy one moment, sad the next moment, 
or persistent feelings of sadness or persistent feelings of extreme happiness where you're just anxious and hyper and you can't get a complete thought out before you're jumping on to the next thought. And you may not even notice that in yourself, but it's those around you who's noticing that, hey, this isn't his or her normal pattern. This isn't how this person normally responds when I ask them this question. What is going on? So how do you approach that person? Because of course they're going to deny that they have a problem or an issue. They might not want to open up. How do you approach that individual? It's very, very difficult, especially with adults. Um, handling youth in that type of situation is a lot different because your parent or guardian can impose on your behalf to essentially make you get help. But handling adults in that situation, adults, you, you have a right to have treatment or refuse treatment. So it's important to, to have that person link with someone that they trust. There's usually one person that can get through that person, get mm -hmm. through to that person. But so you know, there are, I'm sorry for interrupting, oh, but there are some people who literally feel like they are alone on this earth. They don't have mm -hmm. anyone to talk mm -hmm. to. They don't have a spiritual connection, Me. a connection. You know what? Hush. <laughs> Hush, okay, hush, okay, hush. Amen. I am not going to accept that. Okay, amen. I'm not accepting it either. Okay. Because you I, know I would check you in a minute like, girl, what's wrong? Okay, amen. You know I will. And you I check me I'm too. I'm just not feeling suicidal. But I feel sometimes I don't like, I can't talk to some people. Or don't have anyone to talk to but the almighty God. But some Thank people him. don't have that spiritual connection. Yeah, so that's true. I mean, when somebody feels totally isolated from everyone in everything, what, I mean, how, what do you do? It's very difficult. It, and especially if they don't feel comfortable talking to anyone about it. And unfortunately, sometimes you almost just watch that person spiral in front of you and you feel completely helpless. But there are, you know, hotlines out here that person can call. There are chat lines that person can call. There's text lines that person can text someone to. But it's just so difficult, especially with adults, because you can elect to do what you want or not. And it's not until that person comes into an extreme situation where they have either harmed themselves or harmed others or threatened to harm themselves or threatened to harm others where we can truly help them. Because now, because they've made these threats or have actually harmed <clears throat> someone, now we can make them go and get help through like the police or, you know, 911 or, or the fire department. Okay, I have a question. Excuse me, Shelly. Mm -hmm. Keisha. Can you tell us what ways you would try to be proactive to try to help in these types of situations? Yes. Yeah, usually, and, and this is from a personal experience with a friend of mine, usually you see it starting to spiral. So there may be little things that's happening along a, 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 a period of time where you may notice that this person is starting to become more and more and more and more irrational and more and more and more sporadic. So it's having those conversations with that person like, hey, you know, I'm concerned because you have done X, Y, and Z. What's going on? So really confronting it head on and asking those questions that you may be scared to ask and you may not really want to know the answer because you may not be prepared or how to deal with the answer. But, but asking those tough questions head on can truly be life-saving. Like it can yes. be life saving. So just just watching different patterns um, and typically over a period of time and, and having the courage to confront them head on. And if you can't confront them, you know, grab a friend and, and you don't want to be in a situation where you feel like you're overpowering that person or, because, or, or confronting that yeah. person to where they feel trapped. 
Um, so you 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 want to handle the situation delicately because you only have a short window to try to help that person um, see what's going on and help that person actually want to go get help. And sometimes that person, when it gets to an extreme point, they realize that they need help on their own. They may come to you and say, hey, I am struggling. I'm going through this. I need help. I need help. I don't know what to do. I need help. And then that's really your next opening window opening. Open so window. do you think these are learned or acquired uh, traits or characteristics? Learned or acquired. So with all like true mental illnesses, I mean, it's a imbalance, it's a chemical imbalance in, in your head. So just like you may take medicine for your blood pressure, you may take medicine for cholesterol, like, like it's a, an imbalance within the makeup of your body that causes you to think certain things or causes you to feel a certain way. Um, so I'm not necessarily saying like it's a learned behavior, but it's just a behavior of the brain, of the mind, just of having these chemical imbalances that can occur. But there are situations that cause you to have mental illnesses, like different drugs you have a, a reaction to. You can have a reaction to a prescription drug and it messes up the balance of, of your mind. You can have a reaction to recreational drugs and it messes up the balance of your mind. Um, you can have something traumatic happens to you and now that impacts how you think and how you feel and that can mess, mess up your mind. You sure so can. not necessarily learned behaviors, but behaviors that that can come as a result of other external, external factors that have happened to you. Okay, another question. How likely is heredity Mm. Um, That's a good question because oh, yeah. I just want to interject just for a moment. I have an uncle who was diagnosed as schizophrenic, mm -hmm. and so I'm I was worried like, will it skip generations? Y'all worry about my children or their children? So that's an excellent question. Yeah, trauma is passed down through our genes. Mm. Um, so whether it's trauma from the standpoint of something that has happened to you, or trauma from the standpoint of this mental health disorder that has passed down, it definitely can be generational because it's passed down through your genes. And not necessarily saying that everyone who's connected to this particular gene is going to have a certain mental health disorder, but it's definitely a possibility. One more thing. Um, I, I worked in mental health for quite a few years, some, some a number of years ago. Uh, I remember, and I want to say it was Governor Engler, if I'm not mistaken, he cut a bunch of there was some funding that was cut and programs were Many mental were hospitals closed. Exactly. Northfield exactly. hospital closed. Do, yeah. do you feel that they will be beneficial today? Oh, definitely. definitely. Like we are across the nation. We are in just a mental health crisis. There's not enough funding put into mental health. And even when we look at our environment, like things in our environment are impacting us so much. And, and stuff as simple as radiation that mm. can impact you. And, you know, we have like this intense desire and need for technology. Well, what do you think your phones are doing to you? What oh, do you yeah. think all these towers and poles are yes. doing to us? Yes. And, and, and it's just a lot. So, so across the nation, like funding needs to be increased. And then we think about all the traumatic events that we're exposed to. So, of course, you have the war. So we have... An, an increase of military presence across the world and, you know, the trauma of being in war, the trauma of, of fighting and, and being 
overseas in those environments. And then you have just trauma on our own turf through acts of hate, through racism, through gender discrimination, through different things that happen in the workplace. So now in the example you gave earlier with the guy who went and had an episode at his workplace where he killed people. Now people in the workplace are impacted by that traumatic event that can cause some PTSD or some other type of trauma who might've been exposed to that or may even have been in the building and they heard the gunshots and just the fact that they heard the gunshots and know that people have died and they may have even feared their own life. Now they're scared to go to work and, and it's impacting them long-term. Then the things we see on our television, the school shootings, the bombings, like, like it's so much that impacts us now that creates this environment where we need more mental support. Like there's a shortage nationwide of mental health um, professionals. Wow. There's a shortage nationwide. There's a shortage in Michigan. Like, like we are in a crisis right now from a mental health perspective. And it's just going to get worse unless we start to devote more funding towards training people, towards the education, towards just helping others. So how can, I'm sorry, so how can employers or maybe the school system improve mental health services in the schools and the workplace and outside of the workplace and the school as well? Yeah, so most employers have this thing called the Employee Assistance Program, and most employees don't know about it. And one, employers need to do a better job of edu educating their employees. So the Employee Assistance Program, if your company has a benefits package, so if you have health care through your company, your company has an employee assistance program. We do have one. And yeah. typically with the employee assistance program, you get free therapy sessions. Usually it's between five and six free therapy sessions. And if you need more therapy sessions outside of that, they can refer you to someone. So that is a start. Um, in, addition, in addition to that, from the school perspective, bringing in that education. You know, when I was growing up, we had like sex ed, we had health classes. We had all of these classes that focused on the whole body, not just learning your math, your science, your English, your history, which is all important, but you had your classes that focused on the whole body. And we need to put that stuff back into the classroom and really implementing that with the social and emotional learning and having those educational opportunities to teach kids and teach our youth on how to cope with sadness, how to cope with happiness, how to handle when someone says no, how to handle when you may be angry, like all of those types of things, but also how to recognize when something is going on with you that may be more than just your normal sadness or your normal happiness. Because most mental illnesses start by age 14. So mm. half of all mental illnesses will manifest by age 14, wow. with 75% of those manifesting by age 24. And that was around the time my uncle had his first mental breakdown. Mm -hmm. It was around age 14. Yep. Yeah. Because if you think about it, I mean, that's like a prime time for your adolescent years. So you have all these hormones in your body. You're dealing with different emotions, dealing with different feelings. Yeah. So quite often, mm -hmm. peer pressure, mm -hmm. you're Most growing. Definitely. And now you had a puberty. gram. Everybody want to do it for the gram. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's just a lot that's impacting you at that age to where some may think that these feelings are just part of just normal adolescence when they're really not. And my, my question is, who do we have to advocate for these services, for these uh, the funding that you mentioned earlier? Is there anybody we can write? Is there anybody we can reach out to to try to get the funds allocated for these programs, for these uh, services that are, that are needed now? 
Yeah, so I advocate for them all the time. So at least once a year, I go to our state capital in Lansing um, to advocate for different mental health bills that's on the table. So the most recent one that was on the table was um, there was a threat earlier or late last year to a bill that protected um, licensed, um, licensed professional counselors or, or licensed practitioners that account for hundreds of thousands of mental health patients. So there was some wording in the bill that was going to take away their ability to diagnose patients. Mm -hmm. And if you take away the ability to diagnose patients, then you can't treat patients and you can't give them counseling. And in order to give them counseling, you would have had to have a supervisor there who is usually like a psychologist that wow. will supervise you while you do your counseling with these patients because you can't quote unquote diagnose them. Wow. But the licensed professional counselors um, with the mental health background, I mean, in their schooling and training, they have the diagnosing behavior. Um, if they want to take their credentials to another state, even, even somewhere as simple as Illinois, Ohio, all of the bordering states, the licensure is written the exact same way there and their license license is still intact. So that was one of the more more recent um, pieces of legislation that, you know, lobbied for in in Lansing. And I mean, it was successful. I mean, the 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 counselor still maintained their practice and now it's written into the bill where it's protected and safe and, and it won't be a threat ever gotcha. again. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. So when trying to balance work life, uh, responsibilities of raising a family, maybe taking care of an elderly parent or both raising children and taking care of an elderly parent, how can you maintain your sanity when you have all these responsibilities going on in your life? It's so difficult. It is so difficult. And especially when you're taking care of someone else. So you are a giver, you are a caretaker. So it's easy to put your own needs on the back burner, but you have to prioritize yourself. Like there's this phrase, you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm -hmm. Like you want to be there to take care of everyone else. But if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't be here and you won't be here to, to take care of the very people that you're making these sacrifices for. So you have to ensure that you are carving out time to focus on your needs, carving out time to focus on those things that can bring balance and can restore like all of the stress that you've been dealing with and restore pretty much your, your mind and restore your brain and restore you physically. And, and just to be able to kind of decompress with everything that you're going through so that you can build yourself back up and fill your cup back up so that now you can be. But not fill that cup up with alcohol, right? No, don't okay, fill it up with alcohol. All right. <laughs> all right. Don't fill it up with alcohol. But also what you're eating and drinking also plays into that too. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like there's different foods that you, you I mean, you should eat. You should have a, health, a healthy balanced life. Mm -hmm. um, just so so give do. some examples of how you maintain uh, sanity or your peace so we can kind of feed off of that. Oh, yeah. Okay. So one thing that I've done in 2020 is so twice a month I have time carved aside to do recreational activities. So whether it's going out with friends or just relaxing and literally doing nothing, like that just feels so good. So like a week ago, I literally did nothing. Like I went to bed at nine o'clock and it felt so good to just lay there and not have to get up in an hour to go work on something. Like like, oh that felt just so good. So so that's one thing I do. So twice a month I like challenge myself to go and I make myself go and do something recreational. So whether whether it's, you know, hanging out or going to see some live music or 
watching a good movie on TV. So challenging myself to do that twice, twice a month. But also having that time where even if you only have five minutes in a week, like having that time dedicated five minutes. So one thing that I really do in a week or a day in in a week, you may you may only have like five minutes. I mean, if you're like back to back to back to back, like doing a bunch of stuff, wearing so many hats, you may Mm -hmm. only have like five or ten minutes. To yourself where you could really do nothing. I tell you, I only have two seconds. So breathing, oh my goodness, breathing helps. Like taking those long, deep breaths definitely help. Um, I have like this cycle that I go through. It's like a five-minute breathing cycle where you breathe in for five counts. Hold it and you breathe out for five Ooh, counts, and it's five slow <laughs> counts. Ooh, I sit sigh. with my eyes closed, my back straight. My feet fat on the floor, my hands on my knees, and just breathe. And when I tell you, it it literally is like creating a new life. And adding candles, adding candles will make a difference. Just that fragrance. That's yoga. It's it's similar to yoga. Oh, and I work out every day. So I was gonna say that you have a very athletic build. Thank you. (laughs) Do you you run? You look like a runner. (laughs) I used to run, but I can tell. I had an injury to my ankle, injury to my PCL. You look like a runner. I just work on other machines. So like the elliptical or the stair climber or do some calisthenics. So I literally work out every day. Um, and, and not necessarily to be in shape, but it, it helps with my sanity is, is my self care routine. So I know when I'm in the gym, I can zone out and listen to music or watch some TV that I haven't got a chance to watch and just zone out. Okay. Or listen to the issues of life podcast (laughs) on Spotify. I like that plug. I like that. All right. Well, um, Ford and Lady Tan, how do you maintain your sanity? Give a couple examples for our listeners before we close out. Can you share with us? Music. Um, music helps me out a lot. It's soothing. It's therapeutic for me. Candles uh, with the lights off when I'm taking a bath is soothing. It helps me. Really, it does. So, um. That's basically, and actually prayer and just knowing God, um, that really helps me through a lot of situations and feelings. And Because sometimes we all go through things that we don't think that we're going to go through. That's life. Mm. But that has helped me. I I agree. Music. uh, Music calms me, relaxes me, soothes me, kind of just takes me away, like Mm -hmm. Calgon. Mm-hmm. you know, it takes me to a whole nother place. Um, depending on how I'm feeling, that will determine, uh, that will decide what type of music I listen to. I, I like to dip back to the 70s. Mm. And, uh, you know, it just takes me away and just brings me right on down. Mm. Yeah, one day at work, uh, we did something. It was really quick. Somebody is trained in, it's like laugh therapy. And you literally like laugh, like, Ha 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 ha! And you echo what the person is doing, and it might sound crazy, but it was so fun. Okay, and um, you you should check it out. You should check it out. I believe it's offered at a local hospital here in Detroit. I'll have to share that with you later. Yeah, it was it was so fun. Seriously, like laugh. I would have never thought it. I'm like, why can't I think of that? But laugh. Well, you therapy. know what your pastor told you. 
If you're not laughing, you're yet, not, not living. living. That is so true. So true. Yeah. yeah so can people reach you? Do you have a private practice or how can they reach you? Yeah. So our nonprofit, um, we do workshops in the community. We and what's the name have, of your nonprofit again? It's called Caleb's Kids. Caleb's Kids. Okay. And we do workshops. We have group therapy, individual therapy. And so our website is Caleb's Kids. So that's C-A-L-E-B-S-K-I-D-S dot org. Um, we're also on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, also under Caleb's Kids. And then our phone number is 313-437-1609. All right. Thank you so much, Keisha, for joining us. Thank That's Miss Keisha Jackson to yes. everybody else out there. Yes. Thank Ms. you so Jackson, much. Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. And as we close out today, please, please, please take time out for yourself so you can maintain your sanity. We need you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Yeah.